we are back. We are back. Welcome, everyone, to Match Point number nine of Tennis Bets Podcast. I am one of three hosts here, David E.J. Berger. You can find our show handle at MP9Tennis on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and soon enough, YouTube. The YouTube is there now, but there's nothing <laughs> uploaded quite yet. If this is your first time listening, chance starts how you found us. Welcome. Hello. If you're a returning listener, a returning champion, as I like to say, welcome back. With me, as always, is my number one tennis talking bro, Derek. Derek, hello. Hey, what's up, everybody? Now that uh, we got some thousand events going on while we record, it seems like I'm just starting out just hating on somebody. Last time, I think I was furious with Fritz. Now I'm just furious with Zverev, but I guess he just broke back, so I'm not as mad, but he'll, he'll probably upset me pretty quickly. But yeah, let's get the show rolling, though. Yes, we are recording with the quarterfinals not quite set yet. Medvedev. And Zverev, our 4-4 here in the second set. But uh, we're going to take it from the two California boys here to our man in Canada, who, for whatever reason, is wearing a, a jersey representing a team from Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. John Reed. You can find him at Jared Tweets Tennis. He writes content for his own brand, Tibbets Tennis. He writes for the Action Network, Betting Expert, Hammer HQ, and he does tennis form recaps. John, you're wearing a Nuggets jersey, so I had to bust <laughs> out the Lakers hat. We are at odds. <laughs> For the next 10 days. Yeah. I mean, I grew up a mellow guy. What can I say? You know, he drafted 2000, that stack 2003 draft. I was 12. I uh, always was a mellow fan. Followed him to Colorado. I had McGrady and uh, and VC here. Like Vince Carter, Tracy McGrady. That's what, how most rap, like kids my age grew up Raptors fans. But man, I was always a big mellow guy. So followed him to Denver and, and have stuck with it. Then, of course, Jamal Murray gets drafted there. And I mean, that's that's a Canadian boy. So got to be uh an easy an easy reason to stick around so i think this is the third time we've met in the western conference finals gonna get you we're gonna get you sooner (laughs) sooner or later it's gonna happen one of these times so yeah do we have enough bodies to throw at jokic that is the question i think that'll determine the series really but we're not here to talk about basketball we are here to talk about tennis we are a tennis betting podcast that's rising up the charts thanks to everyone who checked us out uh had a 2023 high on the apple chartable charts so thank you for that and i think we came through with some winners here let's go over what we did last time we like to be transparent about what we talked about in a segment we call what did we win what did we learn match play wins jj wolf plus four and plus one and a half sets at plus 110 versus hubie Hercash. cash both those sonego laying three and a half and three versus nishioka cash that zapata money line minus 165 and john you talked about selling games how uh how did you go up on that one yeah i went uh i went a couple units on the money line, then I went another unit on the minus three, or minus two and a half, minus three. Uh, so that was nice. That, th- that love three start threw me off. I, I just woke up and I was like, okay, I'm going to have to get get this this stream on to see how the hell he's down a double break to Jason Kubler on clay. And as soon as I turn it on, he just, he loses like two games the rest of the way. I was like, oh, okay, well, I guess I'll never know. I could have rewound it, but I didn't really want to. Why tilt yourself after you win a bet? That's just stupid. So <laughs> just take the win and move on. Stefano Tsitsipas, uh, we bet him under 20 and minus five versus Nuno Borges. Cash both those. John correctly nailed that he was only a two game more. It would only give up two games more than Carlitos uh, versus Borges. Hilarious that that's actually what happened. That, that There's your, uh, if you're trying to compare Alcaraz versus the, the tier just below him, it's about a two game edge versus Nuno <laughs> Borges. Alexi Poprin, money line minus 125 versus uh, Civilian, cash it. I talked about laying the four and a half with Runa versus Fonini, cash it. Also correctly nailed that a set would be 6 2. 
John talked up backing Hoffman as a three-game dog versus Fritz. That came in. Jared beats Kareem, but most books probably voided. Wins and losses here for us because we had some dog money line and over combos. Started out with the over two and a half sets for RBA and Checanato. Ended up with the dog money line overplay as we talked about, and the money line came in in that one. Same with Evans versus RCB. The over comes in, but the money line does not. Dan Evans realistically should have won that in straights, but loses it outright in three and almost four hours loss uh, i couldn't have been happy with the plus one and a half sets at minus 130 with mm-hmm. tiago montera he loses in three did have a match point to cash the plus 452 bet though so it was live for a half unit don't get a lot of those you see these guys on the timeline giving out these three leg two leg parlays to get down to minus 110 <laughs> i've and, seen uh, i've seen like a minus 135 before on a, on a two legger which was impressive yeah well here was a single play that was plus 450 that almost cashed so that's what that's the type of bet we're looking for here uh, on this podcast I talked about fucevich as a dog versus nori and he got smoked so there you go outright said uh, down goes carlitos alcaraz who was out drop shotted by fabian marishan Sinner now out as well. Rublev went down to Hoffman. Some of these guys maybe peeking ahead to Roland Garros a little bit too much or just flat out got beat by guys who were better on the day. Tough to say, but Novak's still in it. And John's Runa. Uh, just the outright. Just the outright. I might have talked up the uh, the quarter, but I don't have a ticket, which sucks. But I figured if he gets through that, he can get through anyone. And, and the whole point is Carlos hopefully faltering at some point, which we got. So we'll see. So there you go. John, any thoughts on the Carlitos uh, match? Uh, I mentioned the drop shots. Uh, I mean, and Derek, in the past, you've mentioned on this podcast about the best way to beat Alcaraz is to not let Alcaraz hit the ball. And boy, did that kid do that yesterday. It's the only way you yeah. can possibly beat him. Um, but Alcaraz, I don't know. It seemed like he didn't bring his best effort that day. He wasn't hurt or anything. But uh, Morozon, he just had a good amount of variety. And then he just, I don't know, he just played a tricky match, to be honest. I don't know. What did you see, John? Yeah, it, there was a red line too. Marishan can he, remember he's like I think six three, six four ish somewhere in there. Got a big mm-hmm. serve, right? So if you can find yeah. cheap points, it's always important. Then you've got the fact that he was able to find a combination of just hammering his forehand as hard as he could, and he took it early. Remember when you strike the ball earlier than normal, like that takes time away from your opponent, right? And that's the key to to beating Alcaraz. You can't take time all the time away from him because he's too damn fast and athletic. So you've got to take as much away from him as you can. And he is still error prone, right? So if you can get him outstretched and get him trying to hit shots on the run, you increase the chance of an error. He's still going to hit stupid, like incredibly stupidly amazing shots every once in a while. But if you can change the ratio on error to insanely incredible shot, that's where you start to get into it. So not only was he taking the ball early, but he was finding incredible depth and he was hammering as hard as he could. That combination of of those three things, that confluence of, of factors, helped him force errors out of Al- Alcaraz's game. Now, the key here is that's just not going to, that's not sustainable. You take the ball uh-huh. early, you lessen your own margin for error. You, you try and hit the ball deep, you're all obviously going to sail it sometimes when you try to do that. So that lessens your margin for error. And then when, the harder you hit it, the less margin you have as well. And they were kind of flat uh, in a sense. They weren't all that heavy, some of these shots. So again, net clearance was lower. What uh, uh, He was basically playing the lowest margin for uh, for error game he possibly could. And he just didn't start. He didn't like spew errors. No. And I think Alcaraz was waiting for it. I think we were all waiting for it. Like, okay, this is going to break down. This was fun. This was great to watch. It was nice to see Alcaraz push, but when is it going to end? And it just didn't. And then he came back from 1-4 in that second set tiebreak. That's where it looked like it was over. It's like, okay, 
you had your fun kid, but you had your chance to serve it out. You didn't take it. Now you're done. You're going to, he's going to lose this, the third one, six, right? He'll get one game at like love four down. Incredible stuff. Uh, and I, I like the kid. He's not even that young anymore, man. I think he's like 23, he's 23 or 24, but he's, yeah, he's, he's got older. such a nice game. And we've been waiting at the challenge. We've been waiting. The challenger people that, that watch um, the, the low, the lower level. We've been waiting to see this level at the challenger tour. We're like, dude, if you just watch him when he has it all together, he's really good. He just, it, it it's just not there yet for like five matches in a row. He, instead of doing it the challenge level, he's like, hell, I'll save it up for an ATP 1000, a Masters 1000. Really good story. I'm happy for him, but I have George today, which is happening after we record. Yes, that match needs to be finalized before we have all the quarterfinals here. So we, we're, we're going to talk about what we have uh, in front of us and uh, dip into some challenger talk as well here. So um, let's hop right in, though, to Djokovic Runa, the first quarterfinal here. Uh, Djokovic is minus 285 on the money line. He's a four-game favorite. The total is at 21 and a half. Runa is plus four, plus 220. 4 a.m. West Coast, so I will not be awake for this. <laughs> Pretty great. <laughs> one and one in the head-to-head here. Runa famously won in the Paris final at the end of last year and lost 3-1 to Novak at the USO in 2021. Neither super applicable here. Uh, by having broken the seal with the win, certainly a positive data point for the Runa side. I think the big question coming into this is how is Djokovic's health? Uh, elbow seems better. Compression sleeve is gone. He's landed over 70% of his first serves. And his first two matches before a dip to 55% versus Nori. So it was really affecting uh, his ability to serve before, but that seems to resolve a bit. Uh, has been broken in every match, though, despite only dropping one set so far in his three matches. Uh, but where he's really been excelling and dominating is on return, like always, uh, feasting on his opponent's second serves. Nori only won 39% of his second serve points. Dimitrov only won 38%. Echeverry fared a little better at 55%. But that was still only 16 of 29. Novak has generated six, 15, and six break points so far uh, in his three matches. Uh, so Runa, in theory, is going to need a big match here on serve. So far, he's landed 58% of first serves versus Feast, 43% versus Fonini, 61% versus Poprin, but did uh, have 37 second serve points and 124 in that uh, Poprin match. So the first serve, he's got to tick that up here. Because uh, in the Paris match, he landed 63%. The popper match was a little closer to that. He won only 48% of a second serve, though. 19 of 40. was able to have some success on Novak's second serve as well. Novak only won 14 of 29 in that match. Uh, but can he win a match like that again? It's going to be an uphill battle for Runa if he's not landing his first serve here. He's going to be struggling to hold. He's going to be facing a lot of deuces, a lot of break points. John, what do you think about this matchup on tap here? I think it's a pretty decently priced matchup. I was hoping for somewhere in that like plus 300 range, plus 350 if I was going to get involved. I have my Runa outright though, and I'm not one to double down. And obviously there's no way to hedge it really with this kind of money line. I suppose, you know, if he gets up, if if Runa were to take the first set, I think I'd be able to to get in there with a, with a potential hedge. But I'm happy just letting it go. It's it's a very small stake. It's not a big deal. Um, it's not going to hurt me if it loses. And if it comes, if he wins, there will be opportunities down the road to hedge because I would presume he'd be a favorite on clay against everyone not named Stefano Pass remaining in this draw at this point, right? With Carlos and Djokovic out. Casper, maybe? Maybe? Actually, no, Casper might be a favorite against him. But I think he can only play one of Pass or Casper. And you wouldn't have to hedge uh, or try to hedge to the final. And he won't be a massive dog against anyone. So at this point, it's... Sticking to my guns, I think the price is 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 right. I would double down if it was egregious. I don't think that's the case here. And 
in terms of matchup, it's like he's he has all the things you, you need to beat Djokovic, right? Athleticism, a, a good return game, and a backhand that can stick with Djokovic's backhand in those rallies. It's why Zverev's always given him problems. It's why Runa gave him problems in Paris. And he's and his serve has improved a lot in the last year to 18 months. And that is something else you kind of want. You want free points against the greatest re- returner of all time because you know you're going to lose a bunch of points on your in your own service games in prolonged rallies. So if you can kind of uh, build up, you know, get to 40 love before Djokovic steals two points from you with his return game, you're okay. And that's something that Runa can do as well. It's not as big as Varev's, obviously, but the second serve is heavier. The first serve does have a lot of pop and and, and some decent weight to it as well. So I think he's got all the tools. We'll see if uh, if he can come through here. Yeah, I kind of want to stick with Runa to win a set. It's at m- minus one and 20. I watched that Novak match against Nori. And dude, Nori just didn't play good. I mean, I saw Nori against... Uh, Fucevic, and I thought Fucevic played pretty well in that match, even though he got torched by Nori, and Nori just played, I don't know, he just pooped on him in that match, and then he came out today, and he just pooped on himself. He just had, like, a lot of unforced errors. It wasn't, like, necessarily Novak playing lights out or anything. Novak did hit some good shots here and there, but probably only just a handful, like three or four. They were talking about at the beginning of the match that Novak pulled a muscle in his shoulder. I don't really necessarily believe that. Yeah. And it, like the match got delayed just a little bit because it took him a little bit to get on the court because Novak had to get some treatment prior to that. I mean, I don't know about pulling a muscle because pulling a muscle, it's pretty hard just to play through that. So I think that was exaggerated. I don't know if there's any news that came out afterwards or if he talked about that at the press conference, but I'm pretty interested in what he was saying or what he would say if he did say anything. But um, it didn't look like it was hampering him though. I'll say that. So as for Runa, though, I think he could take a set. Like if Nori could have actually focused in a little harder, I think he could have got something out of that. So but he just wasn't very focused. And then he was just missing his forehands and his backhand is just uh, that thing's pretty ugly on clay. It's like it's just way too flat. It's got no shape. Needs a lot more topspin. So that's just not going to work against Novak. But I, like John was saying, Runa's just got more tools and maybe he can put something together. So I'm going to stick with, yeah, Runa to win a set at minus 120. I'm actually going to go the opposite of that, Derek. You're going 2 0? I'm going to Novak 2 0 is minus 107. I I think there's plenty of iterations of this match that Novak wins. Slice and dice us a million ways. Yeah. Runa has been so bad against players who were better than him so far in 2023. You know, this this feels like a place where I I would back Runa. Uh, Cause he's been looking so good. And then like the first like real formidable foe, he just collapses. So I- I'm willing to get back on the Novak train here and I, I-, I might lay the four as well. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to go. No, I'm going to lay the four with Novak and the two. Oh yeah. Split that stake just in case there's a dominant third set or Runa, you know, runs out of gas or cramps up or something. This is unfucking believable, man. Holy shit. What's up? I'm so tired of the chokes, man. Three and a half unit outlay total on John Luca Mager. Cruising against a flat ball hitting, no backhand, like pure hard quarter Alex Kovacevic. He's up uh, 6-1, 5-3, 30-15 on his serve, two points away, and now he's into a tiebreak. He goes up 6-4 in the tiebreak, three match points come and go. It's just, it's unreal. Like, I, I as we're recording this, I'm watching him just completely collapse. Like, if he loses the set, the 2 nothing is gone, and it's already, like, a choke has cost me at least some profit, even if Mager wins in a third set. It's just freaking enraging, man. These guys... It's like every time I have a big bet, 
Every time. And this is why everyone's like, oh, man, congrats. And I'm like, why are you congratulating me? It's, it's, it's two points away. Until the match point is freaking converted, don't say a damn word. Every time. So annoying. Hate tennis players. Oh, the worst. Okay, <laughs> hate so. Hate this sport. Yeah. Uh, here's something you hate, Dave, um, about Novak's injury. He says he had something, but he doesn't want to talk about it too much. So that that's the injury report for you. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I have something, but I don't want to talk. Oh, yeah. You got another match point here, John. I'm watching. I'm like, just just take it. Just do it. Just miss one forehand, you ball-bashing American. Jeez, Louise. I'm like rooting for Zverev to win a set just so I can get this over. I hate this guy, dude. He's terrible. <laughs> he does have something, but he don't want to talk about it, huh? That's according to at Eleanor Crooks, PA commentators were saying shoulder he was definitely serving very carefully yeah he was like serving or hitting these like loopy backhands i, I don't know if that was because of the injury but it it wasn't like he was hitting that in the second set so yeah i'll just send fifth you match point during the warm-up yeah it was during the warm-up yeah and then the- oh, and then he fucking beat the shit out of this guy i don't know uh, cam nori yeah yeah but yeah, it was during warmups, and then the match got delayed just a little bit. Oh Christ! But what? Like, like I don't know. It those loopy backhands were odd at the beginning of the match, but it seemed like the painkillers or whatever the hell he took. Uh, this is a good it. point from Josiah Zibster. Yeah, I'm sure Novak is risking a pulled shoulder six days before a Grand Slam. Laugh my ass off. He's clearly not injured. Yeah. But keep believing it. Totally deluded fan base. Yeah. Once again, a million <laughs> ways to slice and dice everything. Right. There you go, John. Cash. Mogger comes in for John and he's selling. This is why we got to get the YouTube up. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, YouTube is going to be fun. I have to remember this. I'm a very fidgety person. So uh, everyone's going to get everyone's getting to see. I'm like those 90s kids that were not diagnosed with like ADD or ADHD, but definitely have it because it wasn't a thing to like. It was rare back then when I was growing up. Uh, yeah, I was definitely one of those kids. Like you take me to a doctor today. They'll be like, you, you definitely have like super hypertension disorder <laughs> yeah and, like, i'm, I'm sure that. of it it's just yeah yeah i told my mom that she's like you think you have adhd i was like well yeah somebody had to figure it out for me all right guys uh oh something i wanted to talk about before we uh, move on okay so on bovada and i'm sure many other books they offer who's gonna break first yeah i'm sure that's that a three six five skin yeah I- i'm sure it was pretty freaking juiced with etcheberry so that's something to keep in mind here with with novak being i'm not saying like totally breakable all the time but he has given up a break in every match so far so maybe something to to, to keep an eye out for during the french uh maybe he starts slow and just gets broken out of the gate or something uh if it gets if it's ticked up to like plus 250 plus 300 or, or something like really ridiculous it's not a bad market i mean we talk about these single plays for big odds that might not be a bad one Moving forward, that's something that kind of came, that came to mind to me in that Etcheberry match. Okay, Casper Rude was a two-game favorite. Now it's down to a game and a half at minus one twenty-five. He's minus one fifty on the money line. Surrender low plus one twenty-five on the money line. The total is at twenty-two and a half here. These guys have played three times relatively recently. Uh, Dolo leads two-one. He's won the last two times. Last month in straight sets at Barcelona and last year at Bastad. Rude won in Miami last year. That was uh, Dolo's like kind of splash on tour that brought his name to attention. And uh, Rude threw some some water on those uh, those Dolo flames at that event. I feel like this match is basically going to be determined by how well Casper Rude plays. 
Uh, if he's his normal self, he, I think he should win this match, to be honest. Uh, but he's been going haywire, frequent, often. I think what was great about his 2022 season, Rude, was his consistency. And mm. he just can't put together a match like that. He did He did so today against Jera, but Jera's not exactly like the world's greatest player. I know he was a hot underdog pick today, but straight set win isn't that surprising. I was glad that uh, that, I mean, I don't see how... I, I spoke about this for patrons yesterday, um, yes, last night too, in the in the preview um, show. But I'm not sure how you know if if you take Jared like plus 200 sounds like a big number. You put that in percentages, that gives him a 33 percent chance to win. It actually came under that too. It got up to around 35. percent Is that not respecting Laszlo enough? Like 35 percent to beat someone like Casperud is is a fair amount of respect. No, like I thought that price was about right. So I was glad uh, they didn't give me like a, a plus 400 there to. To get into, because then you know I would have been taking it. But I, I think that that I, I don't I don't think that that price was all that off. And and like you said, Rude has been off and on, man. Like Rude has looked really good in Estoril, although that Contenti match was less than stellar. Uh, and then he went two and three in his next three events. It's just not something you think you'd ever see in today's day and age. Casper Rude on clay over a three tournament stretch, only winning two matches without a retirement along the way. Right? He was just beaten by Struff, just beaten by Dolo, and just beaten by Arnaldi. Pretty interesting stuff. Uh, struggled with Bublik a bit here, but he's still, you know, he's put up a six lover, six one set along the way in every single match he's had. So, I mean, that, that minus one and a half or whatever it is, two games, probably not the, the worst look either in terms of um, just laying it. Like they're not key games. It's very rare that a player wins and doesn't kind of cover a two game spread. And I also think that, um, that he's shown the, the ability to put up some lopsided spreads along the way this week. The Dolo win versus Sinner is pretty good. Sinner landed 69% of his first serves in that match, and Sarandolo generated 14 breakpoint opportunities. I mean, that's that's a good win. Uh, yeah, well, this, I, is, this is, just quickly, sorry, this is something that, I mean, this is why when you look at head-to-head, you just need to when 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 one when something looks off, and I think Dolo's pushed him in the past. You just have to look at the game style too, right? Instead of looking at the head dad, just look at does he have the style to push me? Does because he can stand with him on the baseline and slug, right? Those forehands, and he has the athleticism to be able to take advantage of the one. And I say this in air quotes weakness of Sinner's game, and that's his serve. His serve just isn't as elite as his ground strokes. It's the one room he still has for improvement, along with his movement uh, and not looking like a baby giraffe walking between points. But the the serve is the weak is the weak point to his game, and Dolo's well positioned and well suited to actually take advantage. So you can see why he's had some success, or at least been able to push center more than the markets have have believed in the past. If you can stand on the baseline and slug with him, and you're not intimidated by that power, and you can push it and, and send it right back at him, and then you can get into his service games by taking advantage of his second serve. There was a point in the second set he won two of eleven second serve points. If you can be aggressive and you have weapons of your own. You don't even let him get started from the baseline with his power. Just take it right to him on those second serves. Dolo does that really well. So I was really impressed with that. So, I mean, that is a matchup thing, though, too. I think Rude's second is a little bit less attackable. It may not be bigger, but I just think it, it, he he can throw a lot of heaviness to it. And, and if Dolo tries to hit with the same aggression, he's going to sail a lot of balls. So I think that's a matchup thing to look for as well. What about the set one under nine and a half is even money? These guys did play a tiebreak set in Barcelona in the first set. But Rude faced two break points in the opening game. Dolo was broken in the fourth game. He had to fend off two more break points his next service game. Dolo generated a break point for Rude to make it 5-2. Yeah, don't ask me, man. I'm 0-2 on first set overs, even with her cats. I can seemingly not pick the right side on first set overs or unders. 
I still can't believe we lost that bet, man. Her catch 40-15 up. I thought, now again, I can't complain because mm-hmm. I got the plus one and a half cents and money line as a result of it. If he if he holds that game, I might not get those two with higher odds. Can't believe we lost that bet though. But uh yeah. That's wow. that's an interesting one. I'm I'm with I'm with you, David. I with, with you, Dave. I think that um you've got a volatile player in Sorundolo. If you're gonna take set one unders or unders or yeah, especially set unders, you want a guy who's volatile, right? You want a guy who can A just take it to his opponent and 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 win a set 6-2 or B, spray errors and give away a 6-2 set, right? And then you've got Rude who's there to capitalize on it, which he's been doing all week. He's had three of those sets sprinkled in his matches already this week. I mean, you've got you've got the clay surface, you've got slow courts that that can help on return. You've got two guys, you've got a volatile guy on one side of the net and someone who has been taking advantage of it and forcing errors and taking advantage of unforced all week long. Looks pretty good if you're getting even money. I think that's a 50-50 proposition until you contextualize things. And I think it's actually more likely to go under than over. So I think that's a good good spot that uh, that you found there. Yeah, I'm going to back the first set under 9.5 at even money. Uh, I certainly don't think the, the juice at 130 for the over, that feels like a sweat. Uh, so I like that as my play here. John, what's your play on this match? Honestly, I, I was thinking about Serundolo. At, if he had a crazy money line price, but this is the Marishan effect where a win over one of the elite players, there's what, three elite, four elite players on, on tour right at this moment since Rafa's out. Uh, Djokovic, Alcaraz, Sinner, Medvedev, and Runa and Pass are right on the outside. But I mean, in 2023, I, I love Steph, but I can't say he's he's been playing at an elite level this year. Um, maybe he has, and it's just the norm for him. So, you know, even more respect to him. But I think those four have kind of set themselves apart, at least in my mind they have. And Marishan beat one of them, and then he became a three-game dog to Borna Chorich. And I wrote that up for the Action Network if you want my full handicap on that. And and as I said, this it's the match will be done by the time you're hearing this. But I did take Chorich because I think Marishan was – there was a big overreaction. I think the same thing's happening here with Sinner. There's a bit of an overreaction uh, to that Sinner win. So I'm not going to play anything on the sides. I, I think it – I might even play rude here. I, like I said, entering this, I thought I would get a nice price on Sedundolo. Now that I see the odds, I'm actually thinking rude might be showing some value. There's a minus 140 out there, Unibet, for those in Pennsylvania or I think there's one other state and then, you know, Canada, Britain, et cetera. There's a minus 140 out there. I think that that's tempting me, but I might just tail you, dude, honestly. Like, I might just, t- I like that under nine and a half look. I like the the, the logic behind it and uh, and I like the price. So I might just tail you on that, to be honest. And as we uh, keep going here, Medvedev pulls it out versus Zverev. Sorry, Derek. Stupid. All you had to do was win the set, man. But I don't know. He just doesn't want to do it. Remember when people used to call this guy a future Grand Slam winner? Talking about Zverev. We'll forever hate this guy. But anyway, show must go on. I'm starting to believe his window might be over, but uh, I've been on this podcast kind of thinking or wanting to be ahead of the curve on, on Zverev, but man, it's it's tough because, I mean, he keeps, look, I mean, he keeps getting Medvedev and Medvedev is clearly his daddy, but he can't put it together. If I knew Medvedev's wife was going to be in the crowd on this one, <laughs> I would have taken the Medvedev spread. What about, let's cap off Rude. Do you have a Rude uh, Sarandolo pick here, Derek? Uh, no, I'm terrified. Like what John was saying, like there's like that Morojan effect with Sarundalo, and it's to the point where maybe I'm looking at it too much, but I'm just scared to not back or I'm just scared of Sarundalo basically. And I just don't have as much confidence in Rude. So I don't know. I'm going to personally pass on this one. Do you think, I actually think this is a match that you can bring in the peaking narrative. Like did 
Dolo peak with that center match. And oh, is, no, hmm. definitely. That's and, a storyline in my head. And Rude, I think, is I, I think Rude's building towards Roland Garros. And I think that includes maybe, you know, contending for this this title this week. I'm still trying to get into form. So yeah, with a week off, there's no there's no with a week off in him, his form prior to this week, there's certainly no tanking out of Rome for him. It's a big event. Uh, in conditions he likes, it 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 simulates simulates, pardon me, Roland Garros fairly well. Minus the fact that the courts there are actually decent. The courts here have apparently been an issue for quite some time. Conte Moinet of L'Equipe had written that uh, the courts have been an issue for a, quite a, quite a few years here, and we've seen it on grandstand and center. So other than the court um, quality, it, it simulates the conditions fairly well for Roland Garros. This is you're right. Rude is definitely going to be building here. There's there's absolutely no mo- lack of motivation. So if you see you see the root uh, root is my lean uh, on the on the side and if you see that that price keep ticking down if it gets under minus one forty I think that's actionable myself uh, even around minus one forty I think is a decent decent look all right guys well that's what we have so far I want to dip into some Medvedev talk is is Medvedev suddenly a contender for this event here in Rome I mean we no. I, I definitely pooed him uh, in our first episode uh, but now. You know he's going to have to be sissy pass right, and then Runa or Djokovic most likely. If if Runa and Djokovic both somehow are upset, like they play each other, one's out, and then the other one is upset in the no that that's a yeah that's a quarter. The other one's upset in a semi, then maybe. But where's where's Medvedev? He's in that third quarter, right? That wide open third quarter. Yeah. So yeah, he'll have to go yeah. potentially Halfman, sissy pass or Musetti. Hampton's not even a given, by the way. Yeah, Hoffman is is That's a is a, a guy who can hit that serve and volley. Okay. And that is something that that is a tactic that comes in very handy against Medvedev when he stands 10 feet behind the baseline. If Medvedev tries to come in, he's got a big and heavy enough serve to push him back behind the baseline. And Hoffman did it to Marco Cecchinato, who's also a very, very good pass, like passer. Uh, and he hits these, and this is credit to Tennis Master on, on Twitter. Um, the the ad side serves. Um, so on your second, fourth, sixth, et cetera, points of the game for those listeners that don't know, you know, maybe the, the, the jargon there, but on even numbered points, you would, you're where you're serving from, he can go wide with a kick serve that just carries and it takes forever to come down. And you've got to stand back and wait and wait and kind of push it back and checking out who's a very good passer. Even he was hitting them centrally. Well, when you hit the ball centrally, Hampton standing there at the net waiting for it and he just tucks it away and it's done. Right. So he's got that ability too. I wouldn't, I don't think it's a given he beats Hoffman. Then he's got Steph, who's finally put together a game plan to beat him when they've played, uh, I think the last, at least last time, potentially last few times. And then Runa Djokovic. I still don't think he's a contender. Zverev is just, it's, he's clearly in his head. Like he owns Zverev now. Um, and Zverev it, it needs to get past that after the two chokes. He, he needed three to beat Zapata Miralles, who's like a weaponless natural clay quarter but you know throwing a guy with weapons that likes clay and, and it's a different story that match probably ends his run here on its own i don't think he's a contender all right well i i Hoffman, i i think is not very good um but he is trending up this week that's another guy that i think may have just peaked versus rublev but you could have said that about uh stroof in madrid Maybe stay in those Hompton planes flames. I don't. I don't know. I'm still stuck in my Hompton is not good bias that I have no. Uh, I'm not a good 
person to talk to about that matchup. Um, I, I think uh, someone was, one of the commentators said it today, it's true. It's like he, when things got rough against Rublev, just keep things simple. Very basic game plan on clay, right? Big serve, heavy forehand, heavy serve as well, so it's not as attackable. And then just rip your forehands, dictate points, hit to big targets, and just wait till there's open space to hit through. Like, don't get fancy. Don't hit your drop shots. Don't try and hit flashy shots on the run. That's not you. You're not good enough to do that. You're right. He's not that good. Like, he's not very, very good. He's just got a few things that he's very... Like, Conte Ali, right? Like, you know what you're good at. Stick to it and let it take you as far as it can take you. All right. And with that, let's switch over to the challenger scene uh, with these extended two-week thousand events they've had these bigger challenger events with more of the guys you know that we know uh, john knows all the challenger guys but uh some of the main tour guys are are lurking around here now bordeaux i believe is at sea level correct john uh yeah, i think it's actually like a near the sea is, itself as well but yeah it's it's there's no elevation uh, in Baldo, it's 150 feet, so 45, 45 meters. It's anything under 200 meters, I don't take into a handicap. Let me put it that way. And it's not even a quarter of the way there. So, yeah. Uh, great wine town. John, you have a, a match here with Tomas Echeverry taking on a Frenchman. Arthur Cazot. Echeverry, who's hot, <laughs> one of the hotter players of 23, is a three-game favorite, minus 225 on the money line. The total is at 22. The dog is at plus one. 70 and i believe you have a a pretty good play on this one yeah and i mean i think you're gonna see a lot of people on Echeverry, and then for the wrong reasons right he just pushed jokovic almost won a set against jokovic that's gonna be their handicap which is actually true that should factor in shouldn't be your whole handicap if that's the person you're tailing's entire handicap i would suggest finding someone new to tail um and we're here for you that's what we exist for but um Look, there's a couple things here. First, the logic of this line makes zero sense, okay? Kazo is a very good young prospect, probably one of the better French prospects, uh, young players in the game, right? So give him his credit. I'll give him his due. That said, and like France is a deep pool of talent always, right? So that's saying something. That said, he's he's still not the most natural on clay for me, kind of like Alcio Fils, but without the like eye-popping weapons that you see on court. Um, the top spin just isn't attacking or heavy enough yet. I don't think the point construction is quite there. The defending is there, but like you can't just run and defend. You do have to win points at times too, unless you just ha- you're like you have an endless energy tank like Roberto Carbaya's buy-in, and then you don't really have to add offense to your game ever. But he's not that, and he's got weapons. Like he- I think his the best result he had in the juniors at a Grand Slam was actually at the Australian Open when I think he lost to his countrymen. Uh, Alan Mayo, who we've spoken about on this show, I think three or four times now. Uh, so that's the kind of level he's at. And he's passed, he's probably passed Mayo in talent. Um, at least that, that's what Damien and, and Jakub of the Challenger Tour podcast were saying on the last episode. So I, I, there is reason to respect him a little bit here. I want to get that out of the way first, like a disclaimer, a caveat. That said, he's not even Ilya Ivashka. Y'all know how I feel about Ilya Ivashka on clay. I've made that abundantly clear on this podcast uh, over the last several months. He was a three and a half game dog to Echeverry last round. That was wrong, and I I hit that for for a larger stake than than normal. And he won by five games or four games, might have been it's either four or five. Point is, uh, he took a while. But Ilya Vashka, I think, is just more na- not more natural on the clay, but a little more rally tolerance. He's he can be really annoying um, when he gets into his pusher mode, and he's got a decent serve as well. And Echeverry d- did break that down at least once in each set. 
Echeverry's forehand is going to be the best shot on the court. He's the better and more natural clay quarter. He's got tour level pedigree. Kezo doesn't. If I think that three and a half was value against Ivashka, like imagine what I'm going to say when you give me three against Kezo. Like I'm obviously going to hit that. And Echeverry's playing next week, but he's in Lyon for a tune-up event. Like he doesn't have to, obviously doesn't have to qualify for the French Open. He's not looking to tank out and save his energy for like French Open qualities. He's way too highly ranked for that. And because Lyon is a smaller event, his 59th, his his ranking has gotten him into Lyon's main draw. So it's not like he has to go play qualities. He's going to be bailing out of a challenger uh, to try and get into a main draw. He's already in it. If anything, that's where the motivation potentially uh, tank, the motivation tank would be not here. I just, I don't understand what makes Kazo a three-game dog. And, and again, I've bet against Kezo several times this year. I think I'm actually in um, the net positive doing so. I think it's pretty clear my numbers say the market has him way overvalued. You can actually get this minus three at minus 110 at Bookmaker, which is an offshore. Pinnacle's minus 120, so not obviously not as nice, but still worth multiple units. I, I do think it's it's a rather large play for me for uh, Thomas Martin Echeverry here against Kezo. Our man Struff, Jean Leonard Struff, is He's our man now? Yes, he's our man, our man to fade. Uh, as I... <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's taking on. Oh, dude, say this, please. <laughs> Kirion Jaquette. Very close. How, how, what did I miss? How did I say? I think say? it's Kirion Jaquet, but I mean, Kirion Jaquet. Uh, Struff hasn't played since Madrid. Uh, this kid, the 22 year old Frenchman, has three matches here, including his two qualifying and, and a main draw win so far. He doesn't look very good. Uh, the Frenchman, I don't know a ton about this kid, he's uh, a pusher, but I mean, three matches under his legs here. Struff with a significant change here from the Madrid conditions. The first set money line is plus 255, and uh, that's an autoplay for me <laughs> at half a unit. Uh, I, I almost guarantee this kid's going to get a break point. Now, will he be able to, if he does break, will he be able to consolidate that break or not get broken back? That's that's the issue. Uh, that I don't know, but at plus 255, I'm I'm willing to jump in for half a unit on that one, and I'll, I'll be fading Stroop this week. I will. Uh, I won't be doing it here, just because one. I mean, I, I actually don't mind the first set play if you're going to play anything. Like if Jacquet is going to cover a spread, he's he's almost got to win the first set. If he's going to win the match, I feel like coming back from a set down, it's not going to happen. Um, it, it feels like he has to take advantage of a potentially slow starting Stroop who hasn't played since the biggest tournament of his life. I actually like that angle if you want to back Jacquet. Uh, that said, like, you got to remember too. When I say he doesn't have a good serve, I mean like it's really not good. It's it's it, it struggles to make inroads on the challenger tour level. That it's that bad, and he's a clay quarter too, which doesn't help his cause because he doesn't play a lot on hard courts where at least it'll play up a bit or or, or rush his opponents a little bit because of the, the quicker surface. He faced ten break points against Matthias Bulg. I I took him against Bulg because Bulg is just like pure trash. He's like 30 years old, not a prospect, serve bot. He won a clay ITF title a couple of weeks ago, uh, beating absolutely nobody to do it. And he was a favorite in that match against Jacquet. So I took that free money. I had no problem doing that. I think I'll slow down on backing him here. He's beaten like Michael Hirtz, who's 
not in the best form, kind of a challenger to a grinder on clay. Dane Sweeney, who is not very good on clay, an Australian youngster still in the up and up, another kind of pusher. And then Boulg, who's like a serve bot on clay in his 30s and like barely makes challenger to her uh, main draws anymore in his own right. So I, I'm out on this one because I do think that Stroop is just going to pressure almost every service game for Jacques. And like, it's going to be tough with his serve to, to do that back to him. And I think 20%, uh, 20% valuation on the money line here is, is probably about right. It's the slow start that you'd have to, you'd have to jump on him with. And, and so first set's probably, probably the way to attack it, but I'll pass and wait for my opportunity to fade Mr. Stroof. I mean, this is a hundred percent a like an NBA equivalent would be a, a team on its fourth road game, yeah, <laughs> or like, uh, you know, or yeah, or a major. Same with all all the major sports, I guess. Like um, they're not intentionally losing, but they just don't realize the motivation isn't where it was three games ago, kind of thing. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Also, like, what's Stroop's like? Yeah, motivation coming out here at the start. I don't know. That's a lot of narrative right there, but. Anyway, um, what about Manorino, who's not very good on clay, but Ramos has been pretty uneven, and he's plus 175. The total is only 21.5 here. Ramos only plays three set matches. I know. <laughs> I, I just, like, is he going to beat Manorino in two sets here? It seems uh, like there's going to be a lot of, like, pushing. And Manorino just got his ass handed to him by another lefty who's good on clay. And uh, I have to take Ramos, man. I hate myself for it. But like, and and there's there was a running joke a few years back too on tennis Twitter of like Manorino. Oh, look, Manorino is, was a set and break up. He's into a third. Like he wants to get his cardio in. Like that's what Adrian does too. He loves his three setters. Like it's almost like he wants to play three. He's like, nah, man, you're not putting up enough, enough of a fight. Here's three or four games. Let's go play a third. I want to keep playing. Like, you know, he's like kid that doesn't want to leave the schoolyard. Um, there, there was a running joke in a few chats I was in talking like Manorino's the same way and Ramos of course same thing doesn't want to play two sets up a set and break no I'm gonna blow this break and, and we'll play a third that said I just I don't know if I can if I can not back Ramos Vignolas minus three and a half which is like minus 135 now at Pinnacle but bet 365 it, it's not just that it's a stale line it's that it moved from minus 140 to minus 120 to minus 110 it's moving the opposite way Really weird. Um, but I, I don't know if I can get away from that. Because even if you do play three sets, you you could easily have Manorino when he is out of a set or like down 4-1, even, even if it's a single break and he's about to serve. He often just tanks out of that set. He's like, all right, let's go to the next set. I, I hate these long points on clay. I'm not good with clay. If I'm down a break like this in a set, I'm just going to give it up and then we'll try next set. If I get ahead, maybe I'll I'll care enough to come back. You could you could cover three and a half in three sets here on clay with Adrian Manorino on the other side of it. The three sets are plus two and a half or over two and a half sets is plus one fifty five. Really? That's mm. pretty juiced for a Ramos match. I mean, but like you said, Manorino has been really bad on clay. I mean, Montero, who you know has a, a bigger serve, plus his clay prowess, uh, you know. Uh, that's a respectable loss. He did get a set off Van Ash at the other French ch uh, challenger, uh, which is a pretty pretty good set win there. Um, man, I just plus one fifty five for Ramos to go three sets. 
Usually I just never like betting on challengers because it's so freaking unpredictable. And then like now I'm thinking about myself. I'm like, dude, I just bet that Zverev was actually going to freaking help out this over. I'm like, this is the equivalent of betting a challenger match. This is something I wanted to talk about too real fast. Um, when it with when it pertains to uh, challenger events, the second week. So this is where value does lie though. Mm-hmm. Often overlooked. The liquidity isn't as large. The you know your your pros and your your public, your Joe public are really focusing on the big events. They're trying to handicap Rome. They're all betting Rome, and you've got a good opportunity at, at, at the challenger level to exploit some really poor lines. Gianluca Mager was a criminally undervalued against Alex Kovacevic today. You could get down thousands across a few books, and if you order them right, right. If you, I didn't. I'm not saying I'm I'm doing that. Don't don't. That's not a subtle brag. It's just. I'll explicitly say I only bet a few hundred on that match. <laughs> but if you wanted to, a pro could turn around bet at bookmaker for 1500 Canadian, uh, which is like $2 American. Then you could go over to Pinnacle because bookmaker often follows Pinnacle of Pinnacle moves uh, as a sharp book. You could go over to Pinnacle, drop another 1500 uh, and hit it at bookmaker first and then go hit it at Pinnacle afterwards so you don't ruin your, your chances at getting down at bookmaker. You could have gotten the thousands. Of, there's an opportunity to earn some money at these challengers. Um, and the other part of the challenger tour you, that, that you have to like, if you do your scouting and you do your tape study of young players, you see them in a draw, you know their strengths and weaknesses, you know when to fade. I knew to fade mm-hmm. Polina Kudermatova yesterday against Camila Rakimova. That worked. And you know when to back them at like three, four dollars. I had Gilarno Bailey today at plus 300. He won the first set 6 2. He led 4 2 in the, in the third. He led by a mini break in the third set tie break. I stupidly didn't take the plus one and a half set, so I lost my money. But it was clear that there was an undervaluation on one of the world's best juniors there. This is the time to bet challengers. You're going to get some top dogs that you know that you know their games really well. You're going to get some unknown people that are going to give you some value. And if you could piece it piece all the information together, there's a lot of there's a good opportunity to make some money down there. For sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, like with these 175s, it's it's a different field that you're looking at, and it's just not all challenger players. You got to mix and match and. Yeah, it's it's the new ball game. It's kind of cool. So, have you found any edges in that specifically? In terms of like the one seventy fives versus an, another challenger? Yeah, not really. It's not, just still just different matchups, right? Yeah, and I think I think it's the best opportunity you're going to get for a unique edge with with that. It's not like any one aspect that that wouldn't exist to other challengers. It's just it'll come up more often. You're going to get overvalued players like a Struf. And then if you find the right undervalued youngster to oppose them with, you get kind of this, yeah. this beautiful concept where he's overvalued at the same time the kid is undervalued. That combination just gives mm. you a, a nice, a, an edge you don't normally see over the market uh, in, a, in another match. Like you might find a, a nice couple percentage edge on X match or Y match. But then when, when you get that, that, that combination of an undervalued youngster against an overvalued tour regular. Now you're looking at an edge. You just don't really get the opportunity to take advantage of it at tour level or even at the challenger tour level, because um, you know, you usually get one or the other. So I think that would probably be the, the, yeah. the thing that the one seventy fives present. Yeah. Huh. It's a nice soup that they got brewing over there. Then <laughs> John, any other plays for you at the French challenger here? Um, I'm thinking of feeding uh, Richard Gasquet. That that gas tank looked empty against Wu Yabing. When the power, like the power, clearly took its toll. The spin was there, but it was it, it kind of sat centrally in the court and it sat up in the court, which made it more attackable. 
you know, he's going to face that that big serve. And Tanasi Kukadakis isn't as bad on clay as, as I think people like to look at him as. Um, big serve. He has that that big power that makes, you know, takes energy to return. And we saw what that did to Gasquet last time out. I don't mind, like, Kokonakis is a parlay piece. I don't know because of that angle if, if I would turn around and, and lay the games, three, three and a half games. But I actually don't mind at sub minus 200, something cheaper than minus 200. That That is actually a decent parlay piece if you're going to uh, look to parlay anything. Um, Tanasi Kokonakis. Then I would also look uh, at Van Ash against Michael Emer, who looked strong today, first, first match back off of a prolonged absence. Right, so you have to keep that in mind. Secondly, it was a long one against Hamad Medvedevich, who won his third challenger title all in the last twelve months. Uh, big prospect, someone to watch, by the way, in Gestad and Kitzbühel, um, at those two fifties in altitude. Huge serve, likes the clay, masks his weaknesses, but he played a long week last week in Mauthausen, winning the Austrian challenger. So Emir coming back and beating him, yes, it, it's it's good to see him look decent. Uh, first match back from injury, whole new kind of task here as he takes on Luca Van Ash, right? The young Frenchman is relentless. He'll play a hundred balls if he has to, to win the point. Emir, we don't know how that physicality is going to hold up. He didn't look good in the first set and he outlasted Medvedevich. He's not going to be able to do that with Van Ash. And he played the, a super long match in his own right. And we don't know again, if he has that physicality built back up minus 200. I, I have this closer to minus three, uh, sorry, minus 250, minus 300. Um, and I have this, at three and a half, uh, sorry, four to four and a half games, and I'm seeing it uh, in the market right now at three and a half. Is is how I, or sorry, it's I'm seeing two and a half minus one twenty. So yeah. it's it's three. It's a cheap three. Uh, that that to me is incorrect. I think Luka Van Ash should be a much larger favorite. You can also use that as your parlay piece with Kokonakis. I'd probably play it straight with the games, and then maybe do both if you like uh, both. But um, yeah, I think that's interesting. Uh, Gauthier Enclin against Hugo Humbert. Humbert is on fire right now. I understand that. I like Enclin, though, on, on, a, on a decently slow surface. I still don't trust Hugo's game as good as it's looked. And then Vavrinka over Murray at... Uh, I, Enclin, I haven't pulled the trigger on just yet, by the way. Um, but it's intriguing me. Minus 125 is available at Bet365 on Vavrinka versus Murray. Count me the bleep in. I like that. What about uh, Mutet? Seems like he's trending up. He's plus one ninety now versus team, and you know, team versus versus a grinder like Mutet uh, that has not worked out for team a lot uh, recently. Uh, yeah, that and it's that it, one handed backhand is is a little rough because he's never he never used a one handed backhand. Kind of necessitates it with the surgery coming back from the wrist surgery. But he started to find his touch against Marichon last week. And I was actually kind of impressed with how he looked just a few matches back in form. Team played a long match against Pear, a, a long-ish week in Austria last week in Mauthausen, losing to the eventual champion, Hamad Medvedevich. I don't hate that fate at all of, of Dami team. If Mute continues to build and build and and... You know, he's, it's clear that he can play long points and and that forehand and, and server getting better and better uh, with almost every set that went on against Marishan, let alone every match. Had a good win already under his belt here. I mean, just to win a set is only minus 125 for Mutet. That's probably a good way to attack it. 
maybe that in the first set money line if he if he starts running out of gas. But I think team is almost as likely to run out of gas. The other thing um, for Mute is that he's not going to be forced into backhand to backhand rallies cross court here, right? Because he's left handed. So that explosive team one hander comes in to his forehand and cross court exchanges, makes it a lot more manageable. If that was a backhand, uh, then I'd be concerned. But I actually forgot, <laughs> I blanked for a second there uh, that he was a lefty. So uh, yeah, it, it concerned me no longer. That's not a concern here. Plus 200 looks pretty good. It's up to plus 210 now live yeah. and down to minus 120 just for a set. I, I, I'm back in Mutet here. I, I like it. I, I think this is the, the market's a bit wrong. And I like that people are, are paying juice on, on team who literally just went three sets with Benoit Pair. All right, guys. We're running out of time. Any last plays here? I'm looking at Torino here, which is another 175. I fatigue faded kept for today. It didn't work at all. He went deep last week in, I believe, Prague. He's now playing Juan Pablo Varillas. Big hitter, heavy hitter, can loves the clay. I'll take Varillas uh, as as a, the slightest of underdogs. I'm really liking that. And Camilo Ugo Carabey, who loves to take my money, uh, did it with hum, did it with Martyrer in qualies at Rome. And then I didn't take him in his first match in Turin mistake. I will not make again. I will back him against Fede Gallo who I circled for patrons as a, I didn't play it, but as a guy who was priced at plus 200 was a little too high in his first match. Well, this one is now just about a pick them. You got minus one five Gallo minus one fifteen Ugo Karabey. I will take Camilo in that spot after he found a win in his first match in Turin. He's far more steady, can grind longer, more like younger, more energy, uh, probably more suited to clay courts these days than uh, Fede Gallo. Uh, and then I'm still considering Eduardo Lavagno against Salvatore or Lavagno against Salvatore Caruso in an all-Italian matchup. Caruso is another one I didn't pull the trigger on, but identified it over plus 200 for patrons in those in that preview last night. Might have been some value. I think he's going to be overrated here off a win over Yasuke Watanuki, who still hasn't shown us anything on slow clay, despite some some decent results on quick clay. Lovano, heavy spin. Love to see uh, him succeeding at the challenger level this year. Well, very error prone, so he was more of an ITF guy before, but we're starting to see some wins at challenger level. I think there's still an undervaluation. The market hasn't caught up. To me, an aging, declining Caruso, same angle as with Gallo, is not a pick against a younger, natural clay quarter who's who's finding wins in Lavagno. So I'll take Eduardo there in the all-Italian matchup at a pick of minus 110. And that wraps up the 175 stuff. All right. Well, we've said it all. Follow us at MP9 Tennis. Follow John at Jared Tweets Tennis at Tibbs Tennis. Follow Derek at Ferrer versus Nagal. Please, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Until next time which will be later this week. See you in the court.